0: well well this is part three of laws of hanukkah i think we're going to get to the end of it so is it three i think it's part three so in three parts we managed to cover it so we're at law number 14 and this is chabad.org has the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, the concise code of jewish law and here we go man mitzvatan Throughout the time of when the menorah is actually lit. But only in the first ha- the first half hour. The half hour that begins when the stars come out. So in other words, the minimum amount, this is what we studied in earlier classes. The minimum amount that the menorah has to light, the, light, the candle has to be lit, is for a half an hour past nightfall. If it goes out after a half an hour, no problem. Even if it goes out before a half an hour is up, but when you lit it, the candles were big enough or the oil was sufficient to remain lit for half an hour, even if it went out, something beyond your control. But you when you lit it, you lit it in such a way that it would otherwise remain lit for half an hour, it's kosher. Once it's past the half an hour, theoretically, by the basic law, you can actually put it out yourself. But The custom we read, the custom is to leave it. You know, it's a beautiful thing. It's the lights of the menorah. It's so holy. It's so beautiful. You're going to put it out. But theoretically, you're it's allowed. So for example, I'm just thinking now that if it was some kind of a danger of, uh, God forbid, of a fire, once the half an hour is up, theoretically, it could be extinguished now during that time that half hour which is the time of the mitzvah says the "Asur lehanot meoran." it is forbidden to have any benefit from their light like to start reading with the light of the menorah or some other use of the light of the menorah that is that is not just purely enjoying the light is there for itself it's not to serve anything else unlike the candles of Shabbat candles of Shabbat are actually there for us to use their light not just to have you know these holy candles burning so it's forbidden that's why it's customary to take the shamash the shamash being the candle that you use to light the the other candles and to use that and put it near the lights of hanukkah the lights of the menorah and the perp, the reason for that is because if you will end up using the light of the menorah by accident you forget you will be using the light of the shamash which is not one of the holy candles of the menorah and, and it's allowed to to benefit from it now Because you're adding this shamash, shamash literally means a servant, the one that serves the others, an attendant. It's called a shamash. So the problem now is if you're going to be putting that next to your menorah, it could start looking like you have more than enough candles. Let's say it's the first night. You're supposed to only have one flame lit, but now you have a second one, your shamash. So what's the solution? The solution is to put it higher than the other candles. So it should be obvious that it's not part of the count of which night it is. Make sense? Good. Let's keep rolling. Number 15. There is a custom to light the menorah in the shul not because there is an obligation to do so per se on the individuals because they have to light it everybody's got to light it at home but because of this idea of publicizing the miracle celebrating the miracle in public we want where there is a custom to light the menorah in the shul and to say the blessing over them which is You know, that shouldn't be taken for granted because, as I said, it's only a custom to do so. There's no requirement. But yet, we recite this blessing. And we place them on the southern wall of the the synagogue. And we light them when between the prayer of Mincha, the afternoon prayer, and the prayer of Ma'ariv, which is the evening prayer. So this is very important. Let's say I'm in the shul, and the rabbi gets up, and he makes a whole ceremony, and he lights the menorah, and it's very beautiful, and it's very moving, and very touching. And Then I get home, and I say, I'm done. I already did my Hanukkah thing. I did my menorah thing. i do not got to do this. Well, you'd be wrong, because it's got to be done by each individual in the house. The, the shul thing is, is extra credit. The main thing is that we each light the menorah in our own homes. This is, by the way, when uh, Chabad is very well known for lighting menorahs all over the place. The White House, at the Eiffel Tower, at the Burlingame Avenue, Apple Store. Public menorah lighting, that's our thing. But we always try to remember to remind people that when you get home, you got to light the menorah in your own home. You shouldn't think, oh, I went to menorah lighting. I'm done. Mistake. So a person who is in the shul does not fulfill his obligation with the menorah lit in the shul. He has to go back. He has to go and do it again in his house. If, God forbid, somebody is a mourner. So this is talking about a person who has experienced a loss of a loved one and here in the footnote he says talking about one whose parents died within the past 12 months or within 30 days if he mourns for his wife son daughter brother or sister he should not be the one to light the menorah in the shul on the first night of hanukkah why because on the first night of Hanukkah, in addition to the first two blessings, of the third blessing, Shechayano, which is a blessing we recite the first time we do something that we haven't done in a long time. So the first time we light the menorah each year, we add Shechayano. V'Avel, a person in a state of mourning, ain't ma ha'Shechayano Bitsibar, He's allowed to say the Shechayano, which is a festive and joyous blessing. He's allowed to say it, but only in public. I'm sorry, only in private. In his own home, he can say it. But he's not supposed to say it in public because when in public, it gains even a greater measure of celebration to it. So he should not be the one to light the menorah on the first night of Hanukkah in the shul because he's not going to be able to say the Shecheyano blessing. Sound good? Moving right along. 16. Nashim chayavot b'ner Hanukkah. Women are obligated to light the menorah. Now, why does he have to say this? Why would women be different? The answer is we have a rule that the Torah requires requires um, women to to fulfill all the all the mitzvot that are known as the negative commandments, the do nots. Women are obligated in all prohibitions of the Torah. And women are also obligated in all positive mitzvot, the dues, as long as there is no time constraint to the mitzvah, So mezuzah, putting up a mezuzah on your door. Women have the same obligation as men because there's no time, time factor related to mezuzah. you got to have a mezuzah any time of the day, any day of the week, any day of the year. But when you get to things that are time-bound, for example, tefillin, which is only worn by day, and only six days of the week, not in Shabbat, or tzitzit, which are only obligated by day, then women are exempt from all mitzvot, well, there are exceptions, from many mitzvot that are time-bound. So here's a shocker, the shofar, big moment in the Jewish calendar, Rosh Hashanah, you're going to hear the shofar. Women are technically, by the basic law, exempt from having to hear the shofar because it's a time bound, it's a time bound. It's only one day out of the year, Rosh Hashanah. Happens to be that women have taken upon themselves to do it as a custom. So by now it's become a Jewish tradition that women hear the shofar and so forth. But by the strict letter of the law, they're not required. So therefore, we have to say, what about the menorah? Are women obligated to light the menorah? It's a time-bound mitzvah. It's only eight days out of the year. It's at a certain time. It's in the evening. So you would might think that women would be exempt. Says the halacha, no, the women are obligated to here to, to light the menorah. Sha'af Now, it doesn't mean that they have to actually light the menorah. It means that Somebody in the house has to be lighting the menorah. If they live alone, they will have to light the menorah. Let's see what he says. So women are obligated to light the menorah in, in the mitzvah. It doesn't say to light the menorah. In the mitzvah of menorah. The reason for this is, the reason that, that this is an exception to the general rule is because women were also experienced experience the miracle of Hanukkah, which the menorah is celebrating. There's really two ways to understand this. He doesn't get into it. But one is to say that they were suffering from the oppression in the time of Hanukkah, as the men were. And you could say they were suffering even more. In fact, we did say that earlier in an earlier law, in law number three, that the women suffered more because they were Unfortunately, at the mercy of the invading uh, Greeks. In a way that was more severe than the men. We also learned that the women were involved in the salvation. If you remember that, there was a, a uh, beheading that occurred. that One of the women, the, the daughter of the, of the high priest, went to the top general... And there's no really one nice way to say this, but she took off his head. And that was part of, well, it was a catalyst for the victory of the Jews because once, once they saw that their leader had been beheaded, they all ran and scattered. So both in the oppression, women had it worse, and also in the salvation of... A woman played a major role. And therefore, even though we generally say that women are exempt from time-bound mitzvahs, this mitzvah is different and women are obligated. A woman could light for the whole household. A child who has already reached the age of education, meaning he's smart enough to know what's flying, what's going on. He also has to um, light the menorah. Summa, a person who is blind. You say, wait a second, he can't even see the menorah. So what's the point of him lighting the menorah? If it's possible for him to, um, how do I say this? Uh, To to partner with somebody else by giving somebody else, hey, you know what? Sean, you're lighting the menorah. Here's a dollar. I want to, take part in your purchase of the candles. That's better. Because then he takes part in the kindling of the menorah for another, of another person who can actually see the light. If he's married, then the woman, his wife, lights for him. Even though typically the husband lights, in this case the woman would light. If he does not have a wife and he lives alone, if he doesn't have a roommate, or a a uh, apartment mate with who with whom to partner and pay and say hey here's a dollar let me uh, let me take part in your kindling madlik he should light with someone's assistance he should not however say the brachas. okay any questions comments it has to be lit yes it should be lit at um, at uh, nightfall so at the time of nightfall like if you were an hour in you could still light i mean is it how does it work you uh, you so you can you can light it with a blessing as long as there are Three stars. people around that will see it you're the only one who's going to see it there's, there's that uh, problematic so if it's too late at night and nobody's everybody sleeping already in the house or nobody's walking around on the street if you're lighting it in the in the window then you could only light it but without a blessing so you got to try to light it at a time when other people are going to appreciate it okay okay um the only time you're going to light it earlier is on Friday because you've got to light it. And that's where exactly what we're up to. So let's, let's see what it says. Be'erev Shabbat on Friday. Madlikin Ner You first light your menorah. Vyachachachner Shabbos. And then you light your Shabbat candles. Of course, this is all going to happen before sunset, before 18 minutes before sunset, ideally. But you can't light your menorah too early. It's got to be approximately an hour or so, no, no earlier than an hour or so before sunset. Every every week is going to be different. You got to check your halachic times, your 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 uh, halachic times calendar for when is plag mincha Chabad.org got you covered. mincha. First, you you pray the afternoon prayer. You have to put enough oil, or your your candles have to be tall enough. So that they will remain lit for a half an hour after the stars come out. Because if not, then you're saying a blessing for naught. Because you won't be fulfilling the mitzvah if your candle or oil does not have the capacity to remain lit a half an hour after nightfall. So you've got to have some pretty significant um, candles. Can you light them a minute before... And then eight and, and, and before, so 19 minutes before, and then 18 minutes before, like, yeah, Shabbat, before. yeah, that's so that that's it's usually, good. yeah, that's usually how it's done. But I think that the typical candles that you buy at Safeway or whatever, those you know, candles that are about what, uh, yeah. how many inches, eight inches, seven inches, maybe less, those little. They may be good enough for the average night. Because I think they do last for a half an hour, if I'm not mistaken. They do, at least. But for Friday, they might be too small. I am not sure. I haven't tested it. Okay. Uh, If you're lighting your menorah near a door, where you're going to get some wind coming in, some draft. So you've got to protect it from the wind so that the wind will not blow them out when people are start opening and closing the doors. So that covers our Friday situation. 18 deals with how do we handle it when Shabbos is over? Shabbat goes out. We say the prayer over the cup of wine. And after that, you light the menorah. Why is that? Because you first want to finish Shabbat with the Havdalah before you start lighting stuff, which is a non-Shabbat. A non-Shabbat activity. However, in the footnote, he cites other other customs that actually do the opposite. So that's a good question. Why would there be a custom to first light the menorah and then do a Havdalah? You could say that Lighting the menorah um, takes precedence, according to that opinion. What about in the shul? In the shul, you light the menorah before v'yit en is said. En is a prayer of blessings that is recited every Saturday night after Abdullah. In 19, he deals with a question of somebody who is traveling. Mishu hu eno bebeto*, Somebody who is not in his own home, but he's in somewhere else. What does he do? Does he have to light the menorah in his hotel room? If he knows that his wife is going to be lighting the menorah in his home, then he should light the menorah in his hotel room. But he does not say the blessings. Why doesn't he say the blessings? Because his requirement, his obligation, is already being fulfilled by the fact that somebody else is lighting for him in the house. And the, the fact that he's lighting the menorah in the hotel, he's not really required to do so. And so here's a general rule. You can only say a blessing over something if you're actually required to do it. If you're doing it as extra credit or as a custom, generally you cannot recite a blessing. So the fact that somebody is lighting in his home really suffices and satisfies his, requirement, his obligation. The fact that he's lighting in the hotel room is nice, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but he cannot say the blessings. Ideally, let's say he's staying at a friend's house, he should listen to his friend who's lighting the menorah and saying the blessing, so he could say amen to the blessings being recited by his host. And keep in mind, oh, these blessings that the host is reciting, I want to uh, ride that wave and, and, uh, and catch that wave. And when I say amen, it's kind of like I said the blessings because he's not going to be able to say the blessings himself. At least he heard the blessings from someone else and said amen. And then he lights the menorah without the blessings. However, that's all. If he has somebody at his house that's lighting the menorah, so he's covered. But if there's nobody at home, he leaves an empty home or everybody's traveling together. So there's nobody at home. Or you have yeshiva students that are, they don't have a home. Their home is the yeshiva. They have to. So in that case, you are fulfilling your obligation when you light it in route, wherever you are, in your hotel room or wherever it is, in your host's home, and you would say the blessings. Another option that you have is to give your host some money, a dollar, and say, hey, I want to participate in your lighting of the menorah, and this way your host's lighting of the menorah will cover for you as well because you have some portion in the oil and in the wick you've paid for it. And then the the host would add a little bit of oil on what he typically would put in because he has this partner, so to speak, in the lighting. However, that's not really ideal. Ideally, everybody should light for themselves and not go this route of the partnership story. Now, let's say you are... In your home city but you're just not at home and the time to light the menorah has arrived it got dark what do you got to do go home and light the menorah we've got a few more i don't know if we're going to finish it let's keep rolling what about the oil that is left in the menorah now many are familiar or have the custom of lighting with candles Many, on the other hand, have the custom to light with oil. That is the preferred way because that's how the miracle happened, with oil, not with candles. So you've got oil, you lit the menorah, but there's leftover oil in your menorah and there's leftover wicks that have been used. These have attained some kind of holiness, some kind of, they're consecrated, they're sacred because they were used in the mitzvah. You can't just pour them down the drain. Or throw them in the garbage. What you do, you put them together and you burn them in this kind of small bonfire. Why? Mishum the zu the and they were set aside for a mitzvah. You can't have any benefit from them. You can't use the oil to fry some eggs or use the wicks for some other purpose. The only option where the only possibility of doing so would be if from the beginning of hanukkah you said i'm not setting aside the stuff that's going to be left over okay uh one more let's do this all the days of hanukkah the eight days of hanukkah during the amida prayer we add a section called al hanisim which means for the miracles right around the modim when we thank god and we say thank you god you're great. You've done so much for me. We also throw in, and I want to thank you for all the miracles that you did for us, especially the Hanukkah story in the days of Matisyao and so on and so forth. So if you look in your prayer book around the modem, after the modem, you're going to see a gray box. And in the gray box, it says on Hanukkah, add this. So you're going to do that in every Amida during the eight days. So the evening prayer, morning prayer, afternoon prayer for eight days, you're always going to be adding and a Musaf and Shabbos. You're always going to be adding the al Hanisim prayer. Are there, is there a special Torah reading during those days as well? There is. There is. That's, that's number 22. Well, let's finish the one about the al Hanisim. What happens if you finish the Amidah and you're like, Oh man, I forgot to say the uh, al Hanisim." You hit yourself on the head and you say, I forgot. So what do you do? Depends how far you got before realizing that you are a shlamazel. You know what a shlemazel is? Shlemazel. <laughs> Somebody forgets things. So if you remembered before you said the God's name at the end of that blessing after Modim, this is Baruch Ata Hashem. If you remember before saying God's name at the conclusion of that blessing after modim, just go back and say it. You didn't pass the point of no return. But if you remember it after you said God's name, too late. Finish the blessing. Don't go back. And it is what it is. In other words, there are certain things in Amidah that if you didn't add it, like for example, when it's Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh by day. If you didn't say Yalav Yavo, you are, you do have to recite the whole thing over. That's a real bummer. But Al Nisim has a different status. If you missed it, you don't go back. And finally, uh, I wasn't going to get into it, but since Charles asked, we do have a special Torah reading, and the Torah reading for Hanukkah is the section. Um, where the Torah talks about the inauguration of the tabernacle back in the desert, as we learned in the Kitchener, that's one of the reasons that Hanukkah is called Hanukkah, is because Hanukkah means inauguration, investment, and we are kind of reliving that because the Greeks defiled the temple, we cleaned it up. And we rededicated the temple. So we read the original dedication of the tabernacle back in the desert. That's the reading for Hanukkah. We also have some questions in the chat over here. Can you share about the origins of jelly donuts and the spinning of the dreidel? The origins of jelly donuts, I think, has to do with the fact that it is made with oil. And so it's the holiday of oil. Why jelly? I don't know. I don't know if that has any significance and this is also why we have latkes latkes also is made with oil the potato pancakes and as far as the dreidel the origin of the dreidel is that during the times of the greek persecution they forbade the study of torah they knew what is the secret sauce of the jewish people is this they they love studying torah if you get them to stop studying torah that's it it's like taking a fish out of water so what do the jews do they would hide in the caves and they would study Torah, but they always had, they had these, these uh, games, these dreidels, these spin tops. So if the Greek soldiers would come, they would put away the scrolls and say, yeah, we're just playing over here. And so that's the origin of the dreidel. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, that was a whirlwind of laws and customs. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to ask. If you've got to go, please don't feel guilty by signing off because it is getting late. My question is seriously because it happened to us several times before. I'm traveling together with my wife and you stay in hotel. But they say in there's no fire in the room, you know, because sometimes it gets, it gets in Shabbos and Hanukkah too. What we used to do is, you know, go outside, you know, some try to do it, you know, in the yard or something or the, because you know, it's maybe a big trouble if something happens, you know, because you just feel the smoke and all that from the, from the candles and all that. Yeah. That. What would you do? It's a tough question. <laughs> um, maybe they'll let you light it in the lobby. Okay say no, look no, you've no. got say you look you've got this uh tree over here yeah i mean you gotta be you gotta serve all your customers you got some jewish customers maybe we can light it uh in the kitchen or light it in, in uh, somewhere safe okay that's uh the best you could do and another thing is your leftover well, how where do you have coming from you're not supposed to that If it goes out by itself, okay. and you, re- the oil. You, reuse the oil. you could reuse it the next day, but on the eighth day, if it goes out, then you have leftover. Okay. Okay. But you reminded me of the story that um, Anatoly Sharansky tells in his book *Fear No Evil*. That when he was in jail in in Russia, he they, 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 they there was a menorah. But it was taken away. It was confiscated and was in the office of the of the warden. And he managed to be in the in the office of the warden on Hanukkah. And he says, I would like to light the menorah. He says, no, you can't light the menorah. You can't light it outside of this or that. He says, I'll light it right here. Nobody will know. In the office. So the, the warden allowed him to do it. He said the blessing. And the warden said, Amen to the blessing. Because he was Jewish. The warden was Jewish. So, in the prison, it's a fascinating story. In the prison, he lights the menorah, and uh, just a fascinating story. Did did the warden pay him the dollar? (laughs) Great story. I should pull that up and share it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another wonderful session of Torah study. I hope you enjoyed it. And now we know what to do on Hanukkah. Thank you. Yeah, Shavua Tov. Thank you so much. Shavua Tov. Layla no. Tov. Layla Tov. Layla Tov. Layla Tov. Layla Tov. Night, night. night, night. <laughs> we'll catch you on Tuesday night. Be'ezrat Oh, Tuesday night we got the for bringing, So we're not going to be on live on Zoom. We'll be we'll be at the live in person at the Marcus Residence. Are you lighting the menorah every night at Shul or just week is that a plan or Yeah, it, it's a, if you're at the Shul you light it, there. but you know, we're not planning to be there. All right. Laila Tov. B'hatzlacha. Yes. B'hatzlacha.